Welcome back to Love, Life, and Legacy, the podcast dedicated to helping you navigate these hypersexualized times. And in today's podcast, I'm interviewing a couple who is so stellar. They are powerhouse couple. And if you ever get caught in their tractor beams and you end up in a conversation with them, you leave differently. Because Dr. Sandra Lowen is filled with beauty and grace, and John Lowen is filled with power, moxie, and a whole lot of stuff, <laughs> a lot of good stuff. I've been in their presence in different functions for different reasons, and I've always wanted to know more of what they had to say. I wanted to hear more of their opinions and expressions. And so I called them up and I said, hey, can you be on the podcast? They didn't ask any questions. They didn't say, well, let me think about it. What kind of questions, what are we gonna talk about? They just trusted me and they showed up. And what I had was six questions for them. I had three very lofty questions, like the nature of God and sexuality type of question. And then I had three healing-based questions because they're both counselors. Dr. Lowen's been helping so many people, as well as John. They've both been helping so many people for so many different reasons. Dr. John Lowen was helping people back in New York City who were like criminally insane. And Dr. Sandra Lowen has been helping people, relational issues, children and parents alike. She's helping them all. So they have an academic background, but they also have minds of philosophers and they have hearts of champions. So we go deep in this conversation. That's why I don't normally give an intro this long, but I just want to help you to understand the context that I had these people show up without any idea what we're going to talk about. And we ended up talking about the nature of God's sexuality, how the cosmos is sexual. It was amazing. It was really enlightening. I know you're going to enjoy it. Please listen to the whole thing because we go all over the map and we take you right back home, right into yourself. That's literally how we end this episode is it takes you right back into figuring out who you are. So please listen up, everybody. Take notes and welcome Dr. Sandra and John Lowen. So welcome back, everybody. Like I said, we have some very exciting people who know how to talk about big things and small things at the same time. And, wow, I can't um, wait to meet them. <laughs> so we have over here, Dr. Sandra Lowen. And are you a Dr. John Lowen? Well, I have no letters behind my name in the PhD realm. Make you a Dr. Honoris, right? But you are a doctor in poetry, and in presence, you're so good. Well, I'm serious about studying things that matter to me. That's great. Yeah, I hear you. Some people tell me I should go to school to become a doctor because then I could be Dr. Love. And I say, yeah, sounds great for a joke, but that's like six years and I don't have that time. So appreciate yeah. the time. But anyway, I'll leave it alone. <laughs> I have six questions for you guys, but sure. Three of them are very lofty questions and three of them are more practical. So three of them about the nature of God and sexuality, stuff like this. Three of them are about healing and trauma and stuff like that. Okay. So would you like to do the big ones and we can start in the clouds or would you like to start on the ground first? Um, Mr. Lowen, your choice. The MC here. Whatever you feel would be best. We're Maybe for- we'll vacillate between the ground and the Yeah, hey, I like it. I okay. like that. So here's something that keeps on coming up, and I've tried to take a stab at answering it, but I feel like you both could do a much better job at eloquently answering what is the spiritual nature of sexuality? Sounds very theoretical and esoteric, right? But what does this actually mean, the spiritual nature of sexuality? Let me jump in first. You jump in first. (laughs) Okay. In the spirit of what you're talking about, we're going to go deep and simple at the same time. Sure. Essence of sexuality is listening. That's not just with your ears. Okay. With your mind and with your heart. We were designed to be interactive because God wanted relationship. Mm. Sexuality is just highly refined kind of relationship, pinnacle relationship. It's still relationship. In order to have a relationship, you have to know something about yourself. And when you hear yourself, then you can hear someone else. So if you can't hear the cry of your own heart, odds are you're not going to hear the cry of anyone else. And Mm. sex is really heart to heart when it's safe. 
So listening could entail visual cues, really picking up on where somebody's at and where you're at and well, playing some I would sort of say game. in the other order. Got to know okay. where you're at because we see people through the lens of our own experience. Okay. So if I'm trying to focus on where the other person is at, it's like working so hard to show the world how humble I am. <laughs> right? It's like, well, yeah, I'm very humble, but it's annoying. <laughs> But can you receive love and admiration? Tough one. So this in and of itself is all sensory based in a sense. This is what spirituality is in a sense, right? Is understanding what is and what can be through your perceptions. And before I turn it over to Sandra, the last thing I would say is that sex is for adults. Okay. Most of us aren't adults, so it's all premature. You got to go back to the scene of the crime. Sandra and my sex didn't really get good until I figured out it's not going to work with me as an eight-year-old. <laughs> so what causes me to be stuck as an eight-year-old? That's part of looking at myself. And that's where ego and pride gets involved on the male side because we're used to proving to the world the many little terrorists like, yeah, I'm going to blow your brains out if you don't acknowledge me as an adult. Mm. Just being humble and being able to be who you are Okay. So I put it like this in a song. You want to be the man, but deep down you're a child. Show her who you are and you'll be reconciled. Okay. So when I let Sandra know that I'm just a little kid who's scared to death, all of a sudden I had freedom to be a man. But when, there's irony in relationship. When I'm trying to be something that I'm not, half of my energy goes into protecting my image. So we got to embrace disaster to avoid disaster. <laughs> I like that. Well, I would take it out of the realm of mere husband and wife or male and female and put it in the realm of the universe. The whole universe is sexual. God is sexual. The Big Bang has been compared to a great ejaculation. We know that there is a masculinity and a femininity about our own earth. And looking at sexuality in that light takes it away from the genitals and into the realm of the heart and the mind. So this is why Jesus could say something like, hey, if you look at a woman with lustful thoughts, you've already committed the act because sexuality is a mental thing. It's mm -hmm. an emotional thing. And none of those emotions, we feel them in the sexual areas of our body, but the secondary sexual parts, but the primary sex is the brain, it's the mind. And once we get that, we can be people who are truly sexual. So our sex becomes a part of our thought, a part of our emotion, a part of our experience, a part of our spirituality. And when it goes there, it's a home run. I love that. And I really want to unpack that a bit because you said some stuff that is brand new to me. So it really does seem like, especially through media, and then the evolution of that is now pornography, has reduced sexuality to something very reductive and very small, a very particular part of the body, whatever. And you're talking about it's everything. And so in terms of that, you said the universe is sexual. That's amazing. That's a really amazing concept. So if it's not just the genitals, if sex isn't just about genitals and it's about the thoughts and all this, what would be the expression of sex, say universally or even humanly without the genitals? We just are so stuck to the fact that the act of sex is sex, but you're talking about it. It's so much bigger than that. So I'd love to understand that a little bit more. Certainly. We are living with a God who is sexual. And if we realize that this is the power that holds everything together, then we recognize that our vagaries with sexual experience, oh, that's a good looking girl over there, oh, that guy is really hot, are simple expressions of God. We are admiring a part of the creation that perhaps at that moment comes to greet us. So. Our feelings and our thoughts, we have to get beyond the point of looking at the cow and seeing packaged meat. 
<laughs> yeah. If we can go there, then we start to understand that there is a whole universe that is willing to thrill us and excite us mm. rather than taking on our bottle of milk in our hamburgers home. And we feel like, oh, yeah, I know sex. When actually I know very little about the cow from the part that I cut out and that is dead. And I take it home. And that's all I deal with. I think Sandra is also alluding to another component of sex, which is the cultural manifestation. Uh, yes. So we're talking about sexuality from the West, which is looking through the lens of the Industrial Revolution and the specialization that is in science, right? So we analyze, and so we take things apart. Sex is the synthesis of everything God went through in order to create. We're stuck in the matrix. Pornography is just the expression of where the European culture is going back to the scene of the crime of trying to understand its own mind. You're not looking at sex, you're looking at the European psyche. What is repression? It's necessary. Sometimes you got to push everything away to analyze and figure things out. But after you take things apart, you got to put them back together. That's not the strong point of the European culture or mind. You got to go back to Africa, where they had ceremonies where they worshiped the vagina and not because it had been covered. I want to see what it looks like. No, we know what it is. This is the source from which we all came. And they have ceremonies where someone kisses the vagina not to get off, like, wow, how cool. No, thank you. Mm. There's an understanding of the power of the feminine side, that the feminine preceded the masculine. That's a revolutionary thought that Father talked about, the God of night. It ain't new in Africa. They've known it for millennia. We have to honor our elders. So that's really interesting because that whole industrial worldview views everything as separate. So it's like, I'm separate from you. I'm separate from nature. It's kind of doggy dog kind of situation. And that's definitely fallen into the realm of sexuality where now it's really about self-gratification. If you look at kind of the mantra of the modern human on YouTube or whatever, it's really just about self-gratification. It has very little to do with connection to the person that you're having sex with, let alone something greater than that. So I can see that. What's a more natural state then of sex if Let's just say that we were more in line with the purpose of sexuality and with this universal cosmic this spectrum. What would that look like? How would that play out culturally? Before we jump to that idea, let's not just make the European consciousness an industrial revolution all bad. It was good for what it did. Sure. It wasn't there to enlighten us about sexuality. It was to create technology and to break the code of how God created you had to imitate God. God created through origin division union, okay? So God divided things to pull that so we could put them back together. Sexuality is powerful because we're reconnecting what God divided. So the contribution of that culture was to understand how God actually created. That's different. So we're in pre-K, the, the European culture. We don't know what sex is. I think that's the starting point. I want to tag onto what John just said and also answer a part of your question about the ideal. We came from an agrarian culture. There were things around you that were natural. You saw animals go through sexuality and you saw the result. You saw the babies born. You took care of them. You saw the babies born. You saw your mom and dad. You knew that mom was pregnant. You knew that this was going on or that was going on. And that was the natural introduction to sexuality. What happened, however, in the Industrial Revolution is that young people left their homes. And what would have happened, that is, mom shows up one day or dad shows up one day with the girl next door and says, hey, this is a nice girl, would like for you to marry her. Or you were in a culture that prescribed what your sexual experiences would be. As we got into industrialism and people went to the cities, no mom, no dad, nobody to tell us what to do, nobody to deal with our future. And we started looking for ourselves. So if you were a young man, let's say, 
who was not going to have access to the girl next door because she was back on the farm and you never got to meet her in that romantic context, then you found yourself in the context of where do I find the love that I'm not getting from mom and dad? Where do I find that affection and the camaraderie of my friends? Then I'm by myself with nothing to do. So there's a lady out there who's offering me the same kind of experience. Even my best buddy that worked next to me on the machine offers me a certain kind of experience. We find the rise of pornography rising along with the increase move to the cities and that industrial revolution. Mm. So this is born out of loneliness. And I think when you talk to people about pornography, about self-stimulation and all of these things, we find them to be rather industrially based. Not altogether, but definitely that. My queen. My queen is deep. She doesn't just talk about something. It's the implications. I'm always picking up on the friends. Oh, my God. Look what it's being alluded to. What I got that what Sandra is alluding to is it's not just the issue. It's the issue of transitioning from one stage to the another. That's the big challenge. Because God's number is, we talk about a God of dual characteristics. But God's number is not two. It's three. Because the dynamic relationship between the subjective and objective part of God or the masculine and feminine part is so strong that it creates a new element. So until we get good at these transitions going, what's the relationship between me as an individual and me in relationship with another person? In other words, the creative tension between the first and second blessing. So we paint it idealistically. You fulfilled the three blessings. Yeah, how wonderful. But that's a war, brother. Because I love having sex, but having another person, for most of us men, unconsciously, we're not going to say it, but most of us are like, I love it when you open your legs and you give me pleasure, but could you go away when I don't want to have sex? You're interrupting my life. I'm existing as an individual. When I can't tolerate being an individual and I need to connect, I want you, but I don't want you. That's not evil. That's the challenge to understand who the God called number three is. In could, you, could you just explain that a little bit? God okay. number three? Well, that's the mature God who's worked out her issues. God wanted to have relationship, but in order to do that, there was a division in God between, and there's a part of God that's like man, but we said God is one, but God had to divide herself, and there was a dialogue between those two parts. And that God got so intense that phenomena is sex is sexuality. The give and take is so intense. Like, where'd the third party come from? It got created. See, sex mm -hmm. is creating something. And you got to create it before you can have it. So if you don't have three, sometimes I'm looking at this woman and I'm connecting to the thousands of hours of conversation and interactions and scary, beautiful, wonderful journey together. And I'm saying like, who are we? You know, it ain't just the two of us. So until you get to three, Sex is not really accessible. Can you please help paint the picture of the delineation between sex with a couple such as yourself who's invested so much into the experience of this third aspect of God and like a hookup culture? They're self-medicating. Okay. You know? So what's the result? Well, the result is just like uh, crackheads or heroin addicts. They have an incredible experience one time and they spend the rest of their life chasing that high, but they never get it. So there's a peek into the promised land, but the promised land is a lot of work. In Jewish mysticism, we don't say God created the world. That's a romantic notion. They live happily ever after. Now, nobody lives happily ever after. There's always issues to deal with. And because we don't really understand relationship, we idealize it. I've never worked so hard. I love this woman with all my heart and soul. Oh but I never worked as hard. It's hard work being in a relationship because God didn't just create the cosmos. He's constantly investing in it to keep it going. So who am I? My identity is changing all the time. Unless I am really working with 100% of everything I have, I will be psychotic because <laughs> identity is a constancy. But I'm changing all the time because I'm in a relationship that Sandra forces me to look at myself in a new way. 
So I'm going to kill her. Like, hey, I figured out who I am, but now you erased my whole doctoral thesis on the whiteboard. I got to start all over. That's actually a blessing, but you might experience it as a curse is the challenge for us as men. So when we look at these high-powered microscopes where you can look at the matter through a magnification of a million fold, sometimes people look at it, one scientist looks at it and says, oh, matter is actually a wave. Well, it shows up different sometimes because that's the masculine side of God and the feminine side. The masculine side is simple. It's a dot. There's nothing to discuss. <laughs> the feminine side says, oh, not so fast. It's a wave. Well, it's up. Life is wonderful. It's down. Life sucks. It's wonderful. It sucks. Women can handle that. We can't. So until men can handle the wave, women aren't really interested. They're compassionate, so let's say that's nice. They're bored. That was from one question, by the way. A few follow-up questions, but <laughs> that was a lot of gold from a little nugget. What do you feel is the biggest issue regarding relationships that this present generation of young people seems to be facing in your conversations, in your experience? And what's a really important nugget of wisdom that you wish that they could understand about life that would help them resolve a lot of these issues? Randy Newman has a song called Maybe I'm Doing It Wrong. And for a lot of our young people, that is the question. We start viewing our sexual experience or our coming sexual experience as kind of a marathon. And at the end, as we are finishing up things, the partner is gonna hold up numbers like 9.4, We are going to somehow be judged. Because of that, we have people go online thinking, Oh, well, I'm just finding out how to please my spouse to be that I don't know and haven't heard of, but might show up in my life someday. And I want to be good at this. Why? Because the media tells us we have to be good. If we're not good, then we join the bums, the people that don't know what they're doing. And so there is this idea of I must have the experience. So that is one issue. We get into a negative comparison thing, and we're waiting to see if our spouse is going to kick us out of bed. And that becomes an issue for a lot of people. We need to think more about ourselves and realize God made us very well. And what we do in our bedroom or wherever with our spouse is sacred business. If God is truly a sexual being, then sex is sacred because it was created for us by God. That's fantastic. And so our culture is telling us is preparation for love is actually preparing us to feel concerned and anxious about being judged. What would actually be healthy preparation, say as a single person, for being in a loving sexual relationship? What would be a much better way of preparing yourself? We should know from the very beginning that when two people are caring for each other, it's all about pleasing the other person. Sex should be a natural outcome of affection. And if that is so, then we stop looking at it as something that we have to join the marathon for and start thinking of it more as, if I find that person that I really love, we can have an excellent relationship and it will simply evolve out of what we're doing. We may not get it right the first time or the third time, but by the 17th time, we're probably going to be okay. Well, unfortunately, because we don't look at it that way and we start divorcing sex from love, then this is something we have to do. And how many times I've had people come to me and say, oh, I'm not having sex right with my partner. I'm getting judged because we don't have three kids already. Mm -hmm. And people think we're in trouble when we actually like each other. We just haven't conceived. So these kinds of things we have to get away from. We need to stop thinking about what others are thinking about us. Mm -hmm. And we have to stop putting the thought, if I project onto John, oh, John looks at me, 
he thinks I've got some wrinkles or I'm not as perfect as what he saw on TV, which is a good reason not to watch TV and you know not to watch porn. That he is judging me because he saw La 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 Wonderful and she has a perfect body. Then mm -hmm. if I don't think about that, my life is much better and my sexuality is more spontaneous. I would add to that, again, Sandra, profound thinker. Her African ancestors, her Native American, Cherokee, in addition with her Irish, they, in a way that includes the gut, the heart, and the mind. So it's multidimensional. I think we got to separate from religion because religion is talking about God. We need to experience God. Christianity and Judaism, there's a lot of confusion. Jesus was not a Presbyterian from Philadelphia. He was Jewish. When you're talking about Christianity, you're just talking about a misunderstanding of Judaism because Jesus was such a deep guy that we couldn't handle him, so we killed him. And then we said, well, it was meant to happen. This was God's plan. He came to die, and he's God. How convenient. He does all the work, and we just praise him like Jesus is sitting up there. I'm really hungry. I need some praise. Come on, you guys, praise me. What a silly or immature or superficial understanding. So I think for the young people, they need to know that it's not about true parents. It's because of true parents. The nature of original sin is we're trapped in a matrix. We're trapped in a jail where you can't get out. That's the nature of original sin. The blessing is the door is unlocked and you can get out. But God's not going to come in and pull you out. That's your 5% responsibility. So God bless Reverend Young. He does not belong in your bedroom. God bless true parents. They don't belong in your bedroom because we have to become like them. We have to become true parents, not talking about true parents. If I'm saying, baby, I'm so grateful. <laughs> so I love Father so I mean, that's not the story. It's creepy. It's the inheritance. We are still being the spiritual police. Love is the highest law, but not in our world. All the stuff Sandra's talking about is like, what if the spiritual police come here and I'm not doing it right? To quote Randy Newman. Well, there is no right. Sandra talked about many times this experience she had with Father in Canada, your home. Where Father said, okay, we had a great, great talk. Everyone under 16 can leave. And Father started talking about sexuality and saying, love is the highest love. Whatever you and your woman want to do, or you and your man want to do, bring out the whipped cream, bring out the Mercedes, and making love on the hood, and doing whatever you want to do because it's your world. You as long as you both. The only thing that's required is that two can make three together. If you agree, that means you've done enough work that three is already active in its embryonic state. So we don't get that we are the owners. The biggest obstacle for young people is that they don't get that they are the center of the cosmos. And they don't get how big true parents are. That's the nature of the irony, that God is controlling and gives everything away at the same time. God is so much bigger than us that we pick one, you know, well, God's the particle. God's the wave. God's both. And until we become big enough that we can deal with seeming contradictions, we're going to have the problems we have. Yeah. And I know yeah. I put you in awkward space, and I love you, Andrew, which is why I throw it right at you, because no, you know, love you're representing an organization, but organizations didn't create love and sex. God did. No, we're just trying to offer as many perspectives as possible to inform people's journey towards sexual health and sexual integrity. So this is a very important one because it's not often heard and it's loudly spoken, which is the best of both worlds. Hey, if you're getting something good from this episode, you will probably really enjoy our other podcast, The Blessed Couple Podcast, where we talk about how to create a smashing marriage and experience God in the process. And yes, we talk a lot about sex. We have incredible guest speakers that I think you're gonna really love. All you have to do is search for Blessed Couple Podcast on your favorite podcast player, or just click the link in the description of this episode. Thanks, back to the show. So please unpack this, okay? Cause this is, again, I've taken many stabs, but you are both very different from me. So it'll help to hear from your vantage point. I'm getting this from people in their seventies even. 
they have a hard time understanding that there's an emotional sponsor to the act of sex. So there's something behind being horny. People, a lot of times, I guess, who are stuck in the industrial mentality of sexuality are just like, oh, I'm horny. That's where they leave it because that's the end of their understanding of self. And they don't understand that sexuality has emotions involved, spiritual aspect to it. There's past stuff, there's future stuff, there's all sorts of stuff entwined into that statement of I am horny, that feeling of being sexual. And I'd love for you to unpack when somebody is sexually aroused or horny, this idea of being horny, what is actually taking place? And again, this is for the sake of people who are, we know so many people who justify their actions. Well, I had to because I was horny. And so they almost blame the horniness rather than understanding it and unpacking it and seeing what's behind it. So I'd love to hear that from you. One of the things that John had a person in his church area used to say was, it's just the feeling you'll get over it. It's like anything else. And I'm not saying that they should run from their passions or their feelings, but we need to analyze whether or not what we are feeling is what we are feeling. In short, I can feel irritable and I walk around saying, I've got a bad attitude. I'm a real problem here. You have to listen to me because I'm in a bad mood and I can make you feel bad too. When actually what I may need is a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and a nap. And I'll wake up feeling fine. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we have to figure out why I feel this way. Is what I feel my actual state? Or is it something that I allowed to get a little out of kilter and then another kind of feeling arose in me? So we need to look at that. Secondly, why are you feeling that way boils down to what you just did or what you just didn't do. So I may feel that way because I just binge watched Twilight or I just did something where there's a whole lot of hugging and kissing and, you know, everything else going on. Or I got into a place where all of a sudden, I mean, ads now are hard to look at, you know, ladies running around in their underwear and all kinds of crazy stuff. So I just watched that and I thought, oh, wow, she's got a cute part. She's got a that. She's got a this. And I went into my dissecting portion, looking at her. And now my body, which is tuned to look for sexual cues, will say, hey, I feel this way. Or I have done something. I went out with the boys and had a drink. Maybe I had two drinks or five. And now I come home and I'm saying, oh my gosh, I got to have some sex because I feel like it when certain things lower our inhibitions and cause us to feel certain ways. So I need to be in control of what I do with my life. If I see that I have a tendency to feel certain ways, then not in some hard lockdown kind of way, but simply because I am taking control of who I am. It's very important. I often wonder, I talk to young people and they tell me, you know, I'm 14 years old and I'm having this problem. And I start thinking of what I was doing when I was 14 years old. I was working in a hospital, taking care of people as a candy striper. And I got promoted to nurse's aide quite early because I learned how to take shots. My doctor Mm. broke his arm. It's a long story. You don't want to do that. I was the only person on the unit. I, he had to teach me how to get shots. It was your care. destiny. Right. And so I was better than he was. And there we go. But I did things with my life. A lot of times, a reason that we sit around feeling all of these sexual feelings that pour in on us is that we're not doing anything else. And we need to get out there and do stuff for ourselves. I'm not saying you've got to go work in a hospital or something like that. But I am saying that there should be something that occupies your time. And we know that we're not going to get married until a certain age. Another issue, because women used to get married very soon after they reached menarche and started to have their period. And men, as soon as they began to be capable of ejaculation with meaning, would get married. But now we delay that a person might be 30. Okay, I'm 30. I have my business now. I've made $300,000. I'm ready to buy a house in a very cheap neighborhood because that's what it'll get me now. I'm going to find a guy who's got $300,000 and we're going to go out and we're going to have a family. But in the meantime, I'm feeling a little 
I got that itch that needs scratching. So what am I going to do? Turn on my TV set, get all my equipment and appliances, and I'll maintain. Mm-hmm. We have to go beyond that. My way of dealing with my feelings mm-hmm. has to be to go out and deal with them. I need to do something for somebody else. I need to go downstairs and wash the dishes for mom and dad. I need to go visit a friend. I need to do something else and get beyond that state of getting so into my head that what's in my head starts to leak down into my genitals and cause me to feel that stimulation. And then some of the wisdom that Sandra is manifesting really does come from her African ancestors and The difference between African culture and European culture in some ways is the difference between the written tradition and the oral tradition. The written tradition is conceptual. Someone writes a book and then we have a lot of experts who come and interpret what it means, right? That's why we write it down, we can talk about it. In the oral tradition, you don't have art museums. Art is integrated into life. So the art of life happens in the emotional realm which is a little scary for the European culture because that's that way. You can't control where your feelings go. So we push them down, but God lives. Emotion is the seminal fluid through which God speaks. So we got mind-body unity. So you have consciousness. The central figure of the body is the sexual organ. But what's between those two is the heart. Hmm. We basically ignore, in the European culture degree, the people for whom this is an issue, they ignore their emotions till God speaks so loudly that they can't anymore. So it's not that I'm horny, it's that I'm avoiding my emotions and I'm getting slapped because the unconscious where God dwells doesn't appreciate repression, doesn't appreciate it not being respected. We have to live in partnership with God, not just during the holy time. Every moment is a holy time. So what am I feeling? We need to be in touch with that all the time. For a lot of males, sexuality, excuse my French, but it's a little bit like going to the bathroom. I've had all these feelings I can't deal with. So I'm taking an emotional dump. Oh, I feel better now. I don't have to feel anymore until it builds up so much. And I'm horny. And then I can have my emotional dump. That's misuse of emotion. Yeah. It's repressing in that way. So also... There's a partnership with God, man and woman. And Father has talked a lot about love, life, and lineage, right? Love, obviously, that's been entrusted to the woman. Lineage, that's our job. Where are we taking this? Life is God. So I used to wonder, like, what would happen if people never had sex? God's going to make sure that we have sex. Because inside of us, if we ignore God, except for when it gets reaches a critical point, then God becomes this scary phenomenon called the God of horniness. If we're listening to God every moment of the day, then we can say, okay, I know I'm going to get together with a woman, but where is she? And God says, well, and then God can speak to it. So when I get horny, which was, as all men, I'm not ruled by my horniness. Talk to me, horny. What's up? What's really going on? It's the results, yeah. You can't run from, repression doesn't work. Terrorism is the rest of the world's response to the European culture saying we can repress things that we don't want to deal with and still we're qualified to tell you what to do. And the world is saying, I don't think so. It's a violent reaction to the violence we perpetrate against ourselves and are okay with it. So you're not going to treat others any better than you treat yourself. If you think your emotions are bad, That's quite a statement, is it not? How did we get to that point? That's a question we have to answer before we're going to be able to understand why we're controlled by horniness. Yeah, that answers the classic response from more religious people is that repression. And then from the Freudian, Keynesian perspective, it's just react on your horniness because it's there. So it means that it needs to be released. What you're talking about more understanding it. How do you work with it? How do you do a partnership with God, right? So the Freudian approach, yeah, that's a great solution for the next 10 minutes, but it doesn't deal with the long term. And religion says, yeah, ignore it and it'll all work out in the end, but it doesn't deal with process. How do I deal with the beast in me? If I view 
my feelings that I don't understand as a beast, then I'm in a civil war where I am my own enemy. And then I could project that out into other people. And that's what we call war and conquest and all that other stuff. You know, last, I think it was last week or the week before Benji and I recorded a podcast called The Beast Within. That was a great song, by the way. I did, who sings it? I don't know who did it, but look it up. They oh, used it on Martin Sexton did Beast in Me. The I, Beast I, in yeah. Me is the best of me. It was in uh, one of the Sopranos episodes had it. But I think part of what's going on in the current culture, which is positive, it kind of started with Jim Morrison and the Doors. Is we have to understand that beast and not just lock it away. But the classic myth of beauty and the beast, the beast has contributions to make. You got to want to hear someone's story before they tell it. You can't just say, okay, I got 10 minutes, what's your deal? But it doesn't work that way, right? It's stressful. Okay. You, you have to really want to know, and we don't really want to know. We're, we're embarrassed by the beast, and we're embarrassed at our relationship to it because we have been cruel to our emotions in order to create the technology, in order to listen. We, we're complaining about the problems of this repression. We're not complaining about having automobiles and computers. You couldn't have one without the other, so let's not get it twisted. Yeah, yeah. That's my favorite part about all the Marxists out there who complain about capitalism on Twitter, which was developed by capitalism. But anyway, it's another yeah. subject. It's the nuance and the irony of life. we got to be more comfortable with that. And the problem with religion is it doesn't deal with complexity. There's a right way to do it and a wrong way. In that regard, we have to go beyond religion. That's what they came for. Yeah. His father said Christianity failed. He started a new religion, said it will last 40 years, and then we're going to go into the family. What's the title, Mother Gay? She said, we are the Holy Spirit, the heavenly parent, holy community, not the yeah. holy bureaucracy, holy yeah. community. I hear you. I also know it's hard to deal with a mass of people and give specific education, which is why these conversations are so important, which is why I think podcasts in general, are blowing up. There's just billions and billions of them because people need to learn through conversation, not through rules and all this. Well, rules don't explain anything. No, but they're good for developmentally for younger people to keep you yeah. from okay. killing so yourself. Are, that's for children. Like, I yeah. don't want my kid getting run over by a car because he's having an existential discussion. Well, why do I have to do this? Shut up because we're your parents. Why? Because I told you so. That's yeah. good up to a certain age. At some point, you have to explain things. What separates the real blonde from the fake or the men from the boys is parents are not just a chronological age. If you cannot explain your children's questions, then that should be a cue for you that there's a part of you that needs to become adult because adults answer to the question or they find the answer to the question, mm -hmm. right? So my father was a master teacher. And he loved students. He fell in love with the students who would ask questions that he didn't have the answer for. And he would give his life and soul to those guys. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I mean, that's why we're here. We're all trying to figure this thing out together, right? How to evolve. Yeah. I really appreciate, you're more than a podcaster, Andrew. In this conversation, mm -hmm. you're not just throwing us questions. There's something going on between the three of us. So, you know, we're sure. talking about three. Well, there's some three going on here. Yeah, no, I mean, many of us in High Noon do this is because we're scratching our own itch. We're really curious. I can't fall asleep at night if I have a question that's disturbing to me and I don't have an answer for it. So I'll rack my brain on I need to talk to. And I think it's the only way to exist in this world that has so many unanswered questions is to find solutions. I have one last question, though, because we do have to deal with time and space and I got to get ready for something. But yeah. How important is it to have a clear vision for what you do want rather than wrestling what it is that you don't want? For the past couple of years, I've been using the term North Star goal just as an internal compass. It's not a, like an external goal, like I want to achieve this so that I can feel this. It's more like, what do I want to feel? Who do I want to be? How do I want to live? Who am I committed to being? But in your experience, how important is that clear vision when somebody's going from stuck in a life that they don't appreciate to being liberated into a life that they do appreciate. Do you ever 
going to that realm of helping people to formulate. I was asking that a little bit earlier about what does a society look like when everybody's living with true, absolute God-centered sex? What does that look like? But for the individual, do you ever coach people or counsel people into an experience of what could be? And do you ever guide them in that experience? Absolutely. Most people don't have a clue <laughs> as to who they really are. Right? That's, so, oh my God, it's infuriating. Finding self is so important. Mm. We go through the exercise sometimes of who are you? And people will tell you all kinds of things. I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, I'm that. But we rarely get down to the point of I am. When mm. God was asked, who are you? God said, I am who I am. And that explained enough. Okay, so that's who you are. I get it. Fine. That's enough for me. But most of us can't make that statement. I mm. am who my mommy was. I am who my daddy wanted me to be, but I didn't become. I am who my teachers think I am when I hand in good papers that are being written by my cousin. I am the all of the girls think I am because I'm hot and I exercise and I try to build myself up from who I don't want to be. And because we don't answer those questions, because there's not a moment that I look in the mirror and say to that person, who are you? And get an answer back. Sometimes we ask the question, but we don't wait for the answer. Wow. And this is it. I may not want to know who I am. Mm. And sometimes you are dangerous, Dr. Rowan. Yeah, well, sometimes <laughs> I've got to have it in my ear. This is who I am. How does a person really start to answer that question? Being frank with self. Here is yeah. what I do when I'm alone. Here is what I do or how I act. This is what my thoughts are when I'm just sitting out in nature somewhere without a book, without my electronic, and without a buddy who's going to run by and go, oh, hey, what goes through my mind? So it's been said, you are the person that you are when you are alone and none of your friends are looking. And I think that's true. So how honest are we? How faithful are we? How tied into altruistic ideas? How much do we self-care? I know people that are beating themselves up, taking all of their energy out of their lives because they don't want to be a selfish person. And nobody wants to be around them because they're beating themselves up all the mm. time and people feel upset when they have to deal with them. Because so, all they're thinking about is themselves. Right, because all they're thinking about is themselves and they are being viewed as selfless. <laughs> Madness. Right. There has to be a place in which we divorce ourselves from everything and we spend alone time. Mm. Our culture is not geared for alone time. In fact, we try to avoid alone as much as we can. I wake up in the morning. What do I do? I reach for my phone. Who called me? What are they thinking about me? Are people concerned? I got 107 emails here. So 107 people are thinking about me, but six of them are trying to get into my account and 31 of them want to sell me something. Okay, so that's who they think I am. Let me turn on the TV and I turn on the TV and I see all of these causes and confusing things. I don't know what's going on. Well, let me shake John awake and find out what he thinks I am. Right now, he's not thinking very well of me because he was in the middle of a good dream. Okay, so let me then go downstairs and I'll talk to the lady who's putting all the shachkas up in the hall and see what she thinks of me. She thinks my door is not decorated enough. Okay, and that's our life. Everything is in relationship to someone else. But where is the part of us that is me? And in finding that me, where is the God in me that takes me to a different place? You know, if we thought, I talk to people a lot about this, According to scientists, 80% of the universe is dark matter. And 80% of what's going on in our bodies is dark matter. We don't know what that dark matter is. Nobody knows. But what if that dark matter is where God is? Then in me, 80% of me is that. So then if I go out here and I'm looking at ah, this picture, God is looking at it too. And how do I feel about that? 
if I go out and perform an action that's not good or do something with my body that's not necessarily productive, then where is that experience for God? Hmm. We don't look at me as a part of a whole. When we were children, we were taught that we are cells in God's body. They were under something. We were cells in God's body. And therefore, we had to look at everything from the point of view of if God was in me, what would God see? What would God hear? Where would God go? What would God do? So we become people that are God-centered. And the God in me can speak to me as to who I am. So Dr. Love, give you an honorary doctorate in love. Thank because, you. Thank well, you. ownership is Keep determined by love. And you love studying love. So we bestow on you an honorary doctorate because you are pursuing. I will take it. The Bible says, the Torah says, without vision, my people perish. Those are some strong words. In a song that I was inspired to write, it came, these words came to me. In the garden of the soul, the creator planted his seed. 10 billion times over and everyone is unique. Don't do no good wearing someone else's crown. You might feel like a king, but it will bring you down. On a beach made of diamonds, only one is going to shine for you. Check out every grain of sand. That's what you need to do because you don't get out till you pay the last penny. Sandra talked about that fear of being alone. Where does that come from? That comes from our relationship with Satan, who does not know how to be alone. And his false dominion over the world is all in service of avoiding being alone. Because he feels that, you know, you're in trouble. If you got someone else you're in trouble with, by the time the parent tears up, everybody else is behind and gets us, maybe you'll get it. It won't be quite as bad. You got to understand Satan and our relationship with Satan to understand why we're so scared of being alone. So I think that's the critical piece. It's natural that we have a relationship with Satan, not because it's our nature, but it's because he's our older brother. You know, Father talked about foundation of substance is necessary in order to create a foundation for the Messiah. The Messiah is here. If you don't have the foundation for the Messiah, you're not going to be able to connect with him or with true parent. So that's Cain and Abel unity. But Father said Cain and Abel represents Adam and Lucifer. I'm Adam. What's my relationship with my older brother? Because Adam, he was uncomfortable dealing with the fact that Lucifer had issues. So he just ignored them and looked at the beautiful creation, which Adam is spaced out looking at the trees that maybe Lucifer actually physically created. And Lucifer's problem, which was nobody appreciates me. Adam would have been the one who could have appreciated. Lucifer says to Adam, like, what are you doing? He says, I'm looking at these trees. They are incredible. He says, you like those? He says, oh, yeah. He says, I made them. Lucifer's unresolved issue of being alone can be solved. So as long as we're pretending we don't have a relationship with Satan, it's silly. And Satan is just our older brother who didn't get the attention we needed. Father didn't run from Satan, nor did Jesus. Spiritual salvation from Jesus Christ came from Jesus being with Satan for three days in hell. And they worked it out. So we have to confront the boogeyman in us, which is our denying we have a relationship with our elder brother. So it comes back to relationship, whether it's with myself, with God, with the white elephant in the room, our elder brother, that we can call him Satan. Satan is just our elder brother who's unhappy. So what about the part of me that's unhappy but pretending I'm not? Lucifer has more integrity than we do. He can acknowledge, yeah, I'm unhappy. I'm going to make the world hear about it. We're pretending we're not unhappy. You think we're going to get out of the matrix by pretending? It doesn't work that way. We have to create a community where there's no blame and no accusation. Until things are safe, restoration is not going to occur. So vision comes on the other side of pretense. Vision comes on the other side of pretense. So once we get to the other side of pretense, you can see what it is. You have to have inspiration beaten out of you. The younger you are, babies have no pretense. Cry when they're unhappy, whatever. They're not worried like, gee, I hope I'm not crying. Am I interrupting this conversation by crying because I'm hungry? No, they're not thinking that way. So 
we have to get to the point where we're genuinely authentic. It's good to be sensitive to other people, but not at the expense of our authenticity. How do you balance those two? That gets back to the number three, bro. I like it a lot. I mean, just the unrelenting desire to distract ourselves from just being with ourselves is so prevalent that yeah. we've gone deep with some of the guys that I'm working with that even the prospect of giving up something like porn brings up feelings of sadness because it's been with them for so long. It's a They're companion. Yeah. Yeah. They're losing a friend. We got to be real that you got to give the devil his due. Pornography couldn't be as prevalent as it is if we really knew how to give people meaning in their lives. So just mm -hmm. get rid of it. Well, what do you got to replace it with? And if you're saying the ideal, that don't cut it. Yeah. I am exercise is uh, really powerful to take time to, because that is the replacement, getting to know yourself, getting to know what makes you tick is the homework that universally nobody wants to seem to do. No one wants reason. to do it, but well, it is so necessary because without it, I'm always vulnerable. I get to that point of wanting to go back to the good old days just me and a magazine and all my hardware. And that we don't want this stuff you get to do out there. I mean, I'd much rather go to Disney World than be at home by myself. For a lot of people, porn has become their Disney World because of their fear of themselves. We have to start figuring out how do I channel my ideal, my real desires to grow? Ultimately, mm. nobody wants to sit at home by themselves. Yeah. Billy Joel has that song, Captain Jack, which he talks about a man, his sister goes out, she's got a date, he stays at home and masturbates. I mean, that those are the lyrics of the song because he's lonely, because he can't think of what to do. So if he ultimately decides, well, I won't be alone with myself tonight. I think I'll just go out and have a drink. That's <laughs> what it basically comes to. I'll get drunk, I'll pass out. And, and my problems will be solved. So we have to not channel into other areas as a negative. Well, it's interesting because mystical Jewish understanding that the Lord's Prayer is lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Face the boogeyman and prevail. Jacob wrestled with the angel, but what he didn't do, he got a new name, but he didn't check in with the person he was wrestling with and saying, what's your name? I'm going to give you a new name. Because you wrestled with me and I changed your consciousness from wrestling with me. So Sandra, she's a beautiful, scary woman for me and especially for my ancestors because we've been pretending that we're free, but we're locked in this Jewish matrix prison and we call it the elite. You can say whatever you want about us, but you can't really enter into our club because it's a special club. We're the chosen people. You, know, you just wouldn't understand. But it's pretense because we're not happy. So what I love in my dance, I love being scared by Sandra because it gets scary enough. We say, okay, 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 we're going to come out. This White flags. That, yeah, there's this dance that goes on. I think I did the same thing with you. I think I was scary for you, not because you had repressed things, that some evil that you were hiding, but you had convinced yourself that you can't get out and play because it's not safe. It was more unsafe living with the terror of me than hiding, <laughs> and you came out and you played a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I just really appreciate this conversation. I know a lot of people will because it's very colorful because a lot of times we talk about facts or figures or whatever, but this is story-based and impactful. So I appreciate it. Thank you so much for opening your minds and letting us in for a little bit. And I know you already... So, no, well, I was just going to say thank you for being able to color outside the lines and dance a little further out on the limb because a lot of people say, oh yeah, we want to know. But when you start to tell them, well, we want to know as long as what you're sharing is lines up with what I already believe and don't examine. Yeah, so, can you just you know, reaffirm you. my beliefs please? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So thank you for dancing and not just giving us a tour of the museum that is dead history. Yeah. No, it's my pleasure. a lot. Inside. I love it. We'll do this again. We got to about four of the six questions. And so I'm going to whip out some new deep questions, start to stockpile. I'm going to call on you again. and We'll do a part two. 
let's try to we'll figure out in advance how to get access to this so we can have the best technology to go with the best questions. <laughs> yeah. Thank you guys so much. Hey, before you go, I wanted you to consider checking out High Noon Connect. So if you go to our website, highnoon.org, you'll notice, first of all, we have a brand new website, which is beautiful. And also, you'll notice that there's the opportunity to join High Noon Connect. The essence of what High Noon is morphing into is a community. We are better together, and sexual integrity involves other people. Okay, if you're struggling with pornography, you need the help of brothers and sisters, of people in a community dedicated to helping lift you up. And even if you're not, if you're in a relationship and you just want more intimacy, more love, more joy, or if you're single and you just want to be a person that can live according to their values in the area of sexuality and you want to be around a group of people who are fighting in the same way, then please go to highnoon.org and sign up for High Noon Connect. There's a free version and a paid version. We want to make this as accessible as possible. And we're a nonprofit, so we're not trying to make a buck here. We're just trying to create a community off of Facebook that gives a focused conversation, focused energy, focused attention on building sexual integrity as a cultural intention. So go to highnoon.org. We'll see you there.